Hey y'all, welcome back to the Rhythm Section, brought to you by the Minor Frontery. I'm your host, Coburn Blair. This week, Kyle and I are talking about Nikki's re-release of 2009's Beat Me Up Scotty, No Mercy by Toronto legends Richie Sosa, Big Sprocks, and Sazy. Also, St. Vincent's Daddy's Home and J. Cole's The Offseason. We hope you enjoy it. And if you like what you hear, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Rhythm Section. I'm your host, Coburn Blair, and I'm joined by my number one Zoom friend, Kyle Bodanis. Kyle, how are you doing today? I mean, we have hung out in real life, but I am absolutely fantastic. It's a beautiful day. I, I mean, we, we've hung out in real life, but I, I, I see you, your face on Zoom, I think, the most out of anybody. It's true. We're it's it's weekly. It's more than weekly at this point. Um, it's fucking beautiful out, and I I'm just kind of happy with how things are progressing. Um, I you know it's it's just great. There's music playing around. Uh, people are banging tunes. Uh, hopefully everything's gonna you know come back together soon and be fun. But uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. All right. Is this like prime weather for catching Pokemon? That is a question I have for you. So Coburn thinks he's funny and is talking about Pokemon Go. I do play. It's fantastic. Uh, yes, uh, it is prime Pokemon catching uh, uh, weather. I was actually with the host of Buffs and Nerfs, Andrew Lanza, who's my a Pokemon Go brother in arms for a community day. If you don't know what a community day is, you I'm not going to fucking explain it because you're depriving yourself of things that are awesome. Uh, but yes. It's prime. This is what you're looking for. You don't want to be riding the streetcar back and forth in December because it's too cold. Yeah, I have no idea how Pokemon Go works. Um, that doesn't sound good, though. I don't really like being on the streetcar in the winter. I don't like <laughs> being outside in the winter that much. You know what? Honestly, I'm good to hibernate, Like to be honest with you. like Between December to, I don't know, June? maybe may i don't know like I, i'm just like forget it i'm just so happy that we're putting all that behind us momentarily uh for the next few months yeah i'm i cannot wait to be outside you know i'm gonna get my my pedometer get my steps up and uh you know just enjoy the the weather for the you know four months of nice weather we have there's a lot of good music coming out and i think we should you know get into some of that let's get into the music so um, let's uh let's start with Nicki minaj's you know, re-release of her mixtape Be Me Up Scotty that hit, you know, DSPs this week. It is Nicki Minaj coming back and re-releasing an old mixtape from, I believe it was 2008 that it came out, like just pre, pre, oh no, 2009. So pre-Nicki Minaj, you know, her ascending to the level that she's at now, she released a mixtape, Beam Me Up Scotty, with, hosted by DJ Holiday, one of my favorite mixtape DJs. Um, and it was, I'd say, pretty much a classic. You know, you had Young Money on there. You had Birdman, Busta, Drake, Gucci, Mac Main, everybody who was popping in 2009. And... You know, only a few of these names are kind of still around to this day. So this is probably a good chance for them to get paid again. I don't know if they'll see some residual checks off of this. What did you think of this mixtape? I love this mixtape. I act it's my favorite thing she's released, to be honest with you. 
I, I think it's a really, really great. I like that, you know, you kind of get the unvarnished view of Nicki Minaj, you know, when she was raw and hungry. You know, I also think it provides this really sick historical timestamp of this transitionary period. Um, you know, like the the end of the blog era and like that whole situation uh, for hip hop. And I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. I love that they opened with the Drake and Lil Wayne track. Uh, like, it's fantastic. Yeah, I thought that was a really, really strong opener. From what I have heard, that track was originally meant for Drake and Wayne. Um, and then, you know, I think Drake kind of got wind that this was coming out. So he gave it to Onika. Um, and she put a verse on it. I think it's it's some of the best rapping I've heard from the three of them in a long time. It really brought you back to that, you know, 2009 to 2011 era of mixtape rap and uh, just in the pre-DSP era. I No, I was really floored by that. Also, on the reissue, we have a song called Factions, and then we get into Crocodile Teeth, uh, which is a remix of Skelly Bang's song from last year that you know is a song that i think didn't really get enough love because it dropped in the pandemic but it's it was a great a really, track really, it's a really great it's track a really good dance hall track and you know we're i think you know in this era that we're in now we're starting to see a resurgence of dance hall and as you know afrobeats becomes more and more into the mainstream i think you know these caribbean and african influenced sounds are, are really making a statement for themselves and they're kind of approaching the DSP platforms, I think in the first major way, especially that now that um, Spotify has set up in the Caribbean, I believe they're in Jamaica and I think they're in a few other um, nations there. So I'm, I'm wondering if we'll start to see more of a push for dancehall music in this era. I, I hope so because, and also not the interpretation of dancehall. I mean, like it's this is the this is you know the real deal and um like if you do i'm not sure if you listen to it uh but if like anybody hasn't listened to uh the prodigy i think it came out last year or was it 2019 i can't remember the great fucking album and i just think that i like that it breaks the redundancy because like some like i do think that hip-hop is getting to a point and like we've discussed things like how you're seeing more MCs and producers working closely together for full albums. I think that's kind of breaking the redundancy um, of it, but I, you know, it's like, it's nice to have the injection of new music into popular, you know, not new music, but prominence and, and through these, um, you know, through these different channels. Yeah. I think, it, I think, you know, we've kind of seen a spate of different blog era acts re-releasing mixtapes and, you know, doing the work of, getting these samples cleared, getting them out to fans. And I think that it's always met with great fanfare because some of these albums and mixtapes are so integral to these artists' careers and not having them on DSPs really takes away from painting a full picture of, you know, how important these artists are, you know, how much of an impact that they made before their first, you know, commercial album or, or what you have you. So I think that this is like, you know, continuing that tr tradition, I know we saw Wiz Khalifa bring Cushion OJ to streaming platforms and, you know, fans are always kind of clamoring to hear some of these classic projects, you know, at the touch of their fingers. Because I think that's really what the DSPs provide for people is that I can listen to any song from anywhere, any era, you know, and I don't need to 
could carry around an iPod Classic or, you know... Fucking go on YouTube or have to buy... Go on YouTube to MP3. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, ignore the, you know, virus songs that you would get from uh, LimeWire back in the day. Yeah, there's... I mean, there's also, there's a generation of hip-hop fans who, like, haven't had access to... I think this is really where her best chops as an MC are. And she's one of the the the, all, the all-time greats. I think she's cemented herself as a legend. There's really no debate about that at, at this point. And I love... And it allows them to recurate this. Because this, like, she reordered. And, you know, like, there was remixing done to certain parts of it. You know, we had a new track. It was fantastic. And it kind of... You know, like, there's a whole... Ge- again, there's a whole generation of hip-hop fans who were not able... To, you know, it wasn't in their consciousness in terms of what she did. So they kind of like miss that excitement of it dropping the idea of discovery. You know, it, it, at, at this point, you're curating your entire career. You know, you're trying to make sure that, as you said, the whole breadth of it has kind of been presented. And this is her roots. I also think it's probably the album that has the most influence of like her island roots. Uh, she's Trinidadian, I believe, right? She's born yeah. in Trinidad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really great, like what's been done here. Yeah, I I also wonder about this too because I don't think there's a really a comparison in too many other genres where some of the foundational building blocks for artists' careers are kind of obscured because of you know traditional releasing uh, patterns and clearing samples, right? Because there's a lot of artists who kind of get hot in the mixtape circuit, get hot doing other people's beats and stuff like that. And I don't think there's been a lot of room for that in this uh, DSP prevalent era. And every once in a while, I'll come across a song with a fake feature on the DSPs or, you know, they're, you know, kind of misrepresenting something or have a very obvious sample that, you know, would never get cleared. So I wonder about how hip hop kind of goes forward and, and asserts itself in that space because i think hip-hop you know lends itself to sampling and doing all these things and using other people's beats in a way that a lot of other genres don't as much it's a nerd genre like it's a nerd genre for for me it's there's easter eggs and everything it's one thing that's really great about it and why this whole idea of like being a hip-hop nerd is so fun because you're hearing all these little things from other times and other artists and you know and when these obviously when these mixtapes come out artists don't have the the financial firepower to clear you know sometimes they're very you know expensive samples so it's it's good that they're able to you know and they're also that they're putting the money into doing it because they could just leave it and have it go away but i mean you have a really good product why wouldn't you like try to get it to market in the least artistic way of explaining it but also you know again you're because i mean you see you see rock musicians and stuff do this all the time where like you get an artist like jimmy page where he's like there's just such a large amount of effort put into curating their previous work so like of the whole remastering of led zeppelin's catalog and stuff like that and then i think that hip-hop has just attained the age you know the pop culture cred and standing where it needs to consider its history you know what i mean because you're also seeing like the remixing in a very classic way of albums like radio and stuff like by l cool j yeah, and I think like, you know, to tell the full story, we're going to need to figure out a way to kind of bridge that gap. And it just I wonder what, you know, the next 
kind of inclination of hip hop will be, you know, because I think there's a lot of stuff that's happening on YouTube that doesn't really happen elsewhere and doesn't, you know, kind of move the needles for a lot of people. But I think it makes a lot of noise over there. Like, you know, in the past couple of weeks, there was that song that, you know, sampled Mariah Carey. There's a few other songs that have like really, really gone viral. And there's songs that just wouldn't make sense on the DSPs because these are samples that just would never clear. But, you know, these songs are the type of songs that existed in the, in the early 2000s and, you know, even even before that. So I wonder that with everything that's happening on YouTube, if there'll be kind of a way to integrate that into, you know, other other areas of hip hop or other DSPs. Yeah. And also, you know, there's cool little things like Grey Album, for an example, that I don't know if it's on DSPs now. Um, that's the Danger Mouse uh, mashup of, of Black Album and the White Album by the Beatles. But you know like there's it, it, it talks to the the larger culture of you know people just throwing together music and doing really cool things that you know you can't really hear because there's such a you know intellectual property vice that's put on them to clamp it down but at the end of the day it's just kind of like well it's it's cool to get it out there and i think if as long as someone is not like blatantly exploiting something you know, like get the music out there. It's it, it's it needs it needs to be heard. There's a lot of really talented people out there. Yeah, like I I for one like missed that kind of era when like Danger Mouse uh, came out with with the Gray album. Um, there was a you know Jay Z and Coldplay reworked album, and there was a lot kind of going on. And and you know Girl Talk was obviously out. I, like you know, I wonder where that kind of music you know, lives nowadays and, and if people are still hungry for that kind of discovery. And I think that like, we're seeing stuff like this happen on TikTok and happen in, in these other places, but it hasn't yet been realized or recognized on, you know, the major DSPs like Apple and Spotify. And, uh, I mean, it's about dig- digestibility. It's like how, like, say I want to throw something like that on at a party. I got to like throw on YouTube. There's a pre-roll. There's maybe, you know, a fucking advertisement in the middle of it. And you can't, like, kind of enjoy it. And, like, if it's not showed up on Pirate Bay yet, you know, then I just think there needs to be, you know, kind of... I I think at some point, you know, you need... Obviously, you need to protect the artist and their product. But some of these things you have to realize are... It's just to get people out there. Yeah, yeah. I think we just need to find a way to kind of make all parties happy. But because I think some of that music is really important, especially to discovery, kind of like, you know, in the ways that like the dark side of the moon is is something cool. And like people like to watch like, like, do you know, was that ever cleared properly? Or is that just like a, a fan edit that exists? It's a fan edit that exists. But I don't know what the situation is with that. But so I, you know what? I'm a question mark on that. I'm not too. I'm not sure because, like, some again, stuff like that happens all the time. Albums are reversed. I know that uh, someone. I'm trying to remember what the name of the account was. Just like resequence "Damn" by Kendrick Lamar, and it was just like fucking incredible. Just things like that. You know, just like things like that. Like adding things, like remixing them, so they're moving into each other. Like I kind of like the ability to have that, and there's something like that discoverability that's in stuff. I just want to be able to like play it loud at a party if I feel like it is my big thing. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's, that's kind of what's missing about DSPs and 
like when I discovered, you know, some of these albums for the first time that put me on to the stuff that they sampled, like there was a an uh, album floating around called Jadiohead, which was Jay-Z and Radiohead. And that it's was so good. You know, it's so good. And yeah, I thought I've it was amazing. That. And it was like, it introduced me to a lot of Radiohead songs that like, you know, I might not have otherwise like picked up on. But like, I think that era of social media and music discoverability and like creativity is really unmatched. And I don't, I don't know, you know, how to get back there. And I think that it is probably living on places like YouTube and SoundCloud. But I think today, in today's day and age, it requires some digging. 100%. And sometimes, and part of that is, and there is the element of discovery, which that, which is fun. It's just like, once the cat's out of the bag, now I want to like show everybody. Yeah. So to get back to Nikki's for, for a second, before we move on, where is she at in her career? Like, you know, she's obviously an undisputable legend. She has been at the forefront of women in rap for a long time. I think we're kind of seeing what I might call her sunset era. And I, you know, there's not that much, you know, left for her to do accomplishment wise. I think, you know, she's kind of hit all those marks. She's done everything that was needed. She is one of the highest selling females in rap. She has bested, you know, all of her competition. I don't think it's really fair to make too many comparisons to her. And I think that, you know, there's a lot more health for women in rap post her ascension than there was in the time period immediately before. Because I think there were, it almost felt like there was like a dead period. You know, you had like the Eves and the Missy Elliott's and Little Kim's and Foxy Brown's and just a, a lot of talent and a lot of talented women in rap and selling really well and, and charting. And then it seemed like there was almost a period of, of a dearth and until kind of Nicki Minaj came and broke the mold. And I think the labels and marketing experts and everyone kind of, you know, picked up on what she was doing and figured out how to kind of do that again. And people started taking chances on women rapping again in a way that they hadn't really bef- in, a, in a while before and making them st- stars and making them stand out and uh, just getting their names in the forefront. So what, like, what do you think Nikki is, where do you think she's at? What do you think she, is next for her? I mean, this is the question that we kind of tackle, you know, when, when legacy artists are putting out albums, it's just like, what is the, what is the overall goal you know, what is the, what is the narrative that they're trying to do here? Or are they just putting out music because they love it? The problem is it always just kind of feels like they've, it kind of feels like it's an obligation. Like it's just something they have to do rather than itch to scratch. But I I think that like Freddie Gibbs is kind of showing now, how old are the guys from Griselda? They're like all like mid mid 30s like 30 yeah 35 to like 38 so like they're looking at the age the aging out time too but then we just had conway the machine release a fantastic album so i think there is a kind of the grumblings of a move towards you know the the idea of aging out going away but i think it's for a a certain sound that that works like i'm not saying that like freddie gibbs was nominated for a grammy i'm not trying to say he's not mainstream but it's more like the people who are to freddie gibbs are more hip-hop aficionados or you know very much into that boom bap style Uh, you know what i mean it's not like the mainline pop sound 
so I think what they do is is they have an they have an audience. I think it's harder it for an artist who is particularly mainstream in order to kind of avoid the whole aging out idea. But at the end of the day, if the music is good, it's good. But I mean, I don't know. This is kind of why I think like Rihanna is is moving more in her business into her business ideas, for example, because I think there's an understanding that you know maybe I don't want to be doing this music thing the whole time. And there's a bigger narrative because I mean, there is, you know, fairly evident levels of toxicity in it too, because you're only as good as your last album, to be very honest. So, you know, if you put out something that's shitty, then you, you know, people start going after, you know, people start going after it. And I mean, she has fervent fans but there's still like a wider pop culture lexicon and audience that she has to kind of, I guess, quote unquote, get approval from. So it depends. It really depends. The, the, end, the end of the day, it's what is the, the, the goal? Is it just to make music? If it's just to make music, then fucking great. That's one thing I liked about the, the Busta Rhymes album. I wasn't too like hot on the Busta Rhymes album, you know, that came out last year, but it felt like he likes making music. So it, whatever. So it, yeah, it, so it depends. Like, is she yeah. going to be allowed to age? You know what I mean? Like her, her talent is, her talent is without question. She's got the technical chops. She's got the numbers. She's influenced uh, a generation of female rappers. Listen to boss ass bitch off this, this, this mixtape. That, that's her. Give me the loot. Like it's fantastic. Like I, the, I, I just think that it really depends on what what the goal is. Because this, I'm wondering why this came out at this time. I know, like it, it's kind of the curation well, she, happening. She, she's teased that like she was kind of getting her feet wet again. I think she is on the horizon of putting a new album out in the next year or so. I think is you know what has been talked about so i think this is kind of like an appetite or appetizer for for fans and getting them you know back into the release cycle she's you know stepped away for for a year or so so i think this was kind of like hey let me give you a couple new songs let me put some stuff together that's been out there for a while and see kind of what numbers i'm doing you know test the waters maybe maybe like i think it would be great if she was releasing this because there was going to be a little bit of a stylistic shift more towards the content that was in in, in this mixtape. I, I would love that from from Nicki Minaj. I would love her to kind of uh, get back into this, you know, super rapidy air, like style. I think that's you know some of my favorite Nicki Minaj stuff. But I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see what she's going to come up with on on the next project. We'll have to wait and see. So I want to get into. Toronto Mavens, Big Sprocks, Richie Sosa, and Sazy, who link up for a new EP, uh, 8-track, No Mercy. Um, So they've kind of done a little bit of a promo run here. We're seeing a lot of, you know, seasoned Toronto rappers come together. We have the Juno Award-winning Tona on here. Uh, We have legendary DJ Grouch. What did you think of this EP? I really dug it. Top to bottom, it's a really cool album. I think each one's vocal styles like dovetail well into the other. So just like on a rhythm 
and timber alone it like it's a it has a lot of sonic variety i mean three mcs trying to occupy the same space at the same time is problematic uh if they're not simpatico if they're all jostling for position you know when you consider beat selection you know the the dj trying to get his opportunities in there you know things can go wrong and this collaboration just works big sprox brings appropriately minimal production style built around like machine gun hi-hats really well chosen synth parts and like these atmospherics that just work and it puts down the right environment for you know this to kind of take place and the mcs to do their thing it cuts right through the bullshit and i mean you can kind of smell the chiba from the opening beat and um i always appreciate that yeah i really enjoy you know big sprox coming in he's i think he's a really legendary toronto producer he's really really talented i think you know him providing the sonic landscape for richie Souza and sazy to just rap and that's what they do really well and that's what they're doing you know experimenting on here what, what were your standout tracks what what stood out to you on this okay cobra kai the reference game is just so strong like we're referencing goldeneye and the pp7 flexing like venice beach and the infinite you know the infamous michael jackson dangling the kid from the balcony situation and it's really good and like breaking someone's legs like they're co- like we're cobra kai like it's fucking ridiculous uh i i really really enjoyed it it was that track's really really fun uh laundromat simple hook nice synth chords head bobbing at its finest red line probably my favorite song on the whole thing you know splashy synth in, in the back kind of working with that shimmering main line that works us through the verses ultimately you know that's what it's that's what i'm looking for in terms of like multiple mcs just this driving ability to you know have a canvas for them to keep going um you know the the, the coming out of the the opening or like the chorus it like really sucks us into the verse and like it creates this tunnel vision you know for them to rap through so i i just really really enjoyed that track as well and then tina fey i mean you got dj grouch tona i mean this is just dope as fuck track and also tina fey is always good subject matter so yeah, I mean, this is really good, man. I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, the, thir- the 30 Rock reference on it was really, really funny, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, I think for me, Rey Mysterio, I think this album felt like it was really littered with um, wrestling references. Um, some of them went a little bit over my head, but some of them, you know, I, I recognize and remember. Red Life, you know, the song references the, you know, 90s Rexdale duo um, and their single, Who's Talking Weight, which I thought is really cool. It samples that. I don't think you get too much Toronto rap, especially in the last, you know, number of years that is super referential and, you know, recognizes uh, previous rappers and previous projects. So I thought that, you know, was a really big standout for me, especially because I don't, I don't know if Who's Talking Weight is even available I tried looking for it. You you can't. It's not there. I think. Yeah, I think it's only on. It's only on YouTube. Um, and then it exists on. That's where I looked for it. It's really great. Fucking YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. There's. It wasn't on the. uh, Wasn't on the DSPs. Yeah. So I wonder if like you know a project like this can kind of like spark some interest in in that stuff, or if you know people who are listening you know get those references. I would love to see this. I don't know if it made any playlists, but I would love to see this you know properly playlisted on. Um, places so that you know as people are listening to the kind of new toronto rap on the northern bars type playlist like this stuff is getting out there too because i think this is really really like excellent toronto rap bar none and especially hearing like these guys who you know have been making music for a while kind of approach it uh in a fresh way 
Um, Richie Sosa, you know, was one of my favorite Toronto rappers in the mid 2000s. So to see him kind of come back and, you know, just really flex his his lyrical muscles is uh, it's something really cool. And I feel like it's sonically different from what he's rapped on before. So I like yeah, I think it adds a little variety and you kind of it can, like gives, gives it a different context. Yeah, it feels a little bit more mature. And so speaking of that, too, I want to get into, like, you know, I feel like this album is almost inspired by the rise of, like, Griselda. And I think there is some kind of empowering of older rappers kind of, like, taking stock of things. And, like, even in the wrestling references and stuff like that, it's like, these are these are rappers from a very specific, you know, age. You know, the references are kind of, you know, pointed to the same direction. But they're doing it in a way that, you know, is fresh sounds you know up to up to par for now but also is still like boom bappy and i think that's something that's really cool and i wonder that griselda and freddie gibbs and these kind of rappers who are you know getting up there in age has made it a bit more palatable or more of a more of a something that you know can pull older rappers and be like hey I, i still like rapping let me just put something out yeah, because I think the music they're making is a lot more mature than either stuff that... Like, if you listen to earlier Freddie Gibbs stuff, the stuff he's doing now is way fucking better. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, a maturity, a better understanding on how to craft an album. I think that these older artists, especially uh, the dudes from Griselda and Freddie Gibbs working with, like, The Alchemist and Mad Lib, I, I, I think there's there's more focus on the album rather than singles is the big thing. So they're more worried about crafting a beginning to end thing that expresses full ideas and takes you from point A to point B, as opposed to stuff that is more created for the heavy pop landscape where you're like, we need this single, we need this single, we need this single, we need this, you know, we need this, uh, or else the drop isn't going to work. I, I think this just works better. And I, I, I think that you have to, you have to be looking at what are you doing? If you can, you can't fight yesterday's war. You can't come in and do some stuff that you were doing in 2010 that you think is going to be as fiery. What you have to do is you have to show that there has been artistic growth. And I think that is why older some of these older artists that we're talking about are able to do well and i would hope that Nicki minaj can do the same because i mean her whole thing was really based around singles and the one reason i like the mixtape is because it's like it's it, it kind of all goes together i enjoy it I, where sometimes i don't feel like that about her album albums where it's more based in like what the fuck is the single not that their albums are bad i mean like pink sunday's fantastic but I think you have to show growth and I think you have to show something different. And if you're just trying to rekindle that old magic, that's not going to work. You have to make new fucking magic. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's really the crux of it. Like, can you do something new that still feels, you know, reminiscent of your past work and feels magical. And I think that on this album, like they've done just that they've managed to, you know, check all those boxes put together an album that's mature that you know feels good for boom bap but also you know is is modern and it is rooted in present times it has nods to the past and it's just full of really good music and and that's you know basically 
what this album is for me. So, you know, on the patented cog rating system, this album is going to be a nine for me. I think this is, you know, really fantastic. And I'd love to see other Toronto artists of the past try their hand at this. I have this as an 8.5. It was really good. It's going to be, it's coming through my speakers for a while. I can tell you that for sure. So I want to move on to Fayetteville, North Carolina's J. Cole and his sixth studio album, The Off Season, which dropped last week. And I think the rumors are this is a, a prelude to what some people are calling his final project. And I think he wants to call that the fall off because he's hinted at that over on a instagram over the you know last few months this album was only announced 10 days before its release and right on the heels of jake hole signing a professional basketball contract in rwanda what do you think of this album so far what did he go uh, i think it was like three two and two the other night i can't remember uh i can't remember uh, i mean overall there's some solid work on the album you know some of it is among jake Cole's best he reestablishes himself as a gifted wordsmith pound for pound one of probably the best pure spitters of his generation uh cole has said a lot about needing to get back to working at a high level and that there's you know a level of preparation needed he needed to get to and this was kind of like part of that was gearing up to like you're saying the what is supposed to be the final release um and that's why the where the name off season came from but his talk you know his talk is is hinting at a shelf life for the whole thing. So does this change the lens towards how we look at it? I mean, I was kind of, it kind of definitely did for me because now like we're looking towards legacy and, uh, but you know, there's some cringy heavy handed moments from J Cole on this as usual. And I believe that they take away from the overall impact and like good work on the album. The linguistic gymnastics is there, the delivery, the flow, the ability to shape verses, around varying speeds. It's top-notch as usual. There's just something about J. Cole albums and all of them in some way or form that leaves me kind of wanting more. And that's not a knock on his, you know, talent. I'm just curious as to how future generations will rate him. Like, I can never fully love a J. Cole album. It's always like, there's always conditions with it, I find. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm really at the same place with you there. Like, I, you know, went through this album three or four times uh, since Friday, and then I went through it again today. I always kind of just come out of listening to a J. Cole album or even go into them. I'm, I'm like, I really want to like it, and I want to be a part of everything that's happening. And there's always just something that's kind of missing for me. I'm always like, maybe there's like a song that like is missing or something, but like, I never really can fully get behind everything that I'm hearing and I know he's rapping well and everything in me tells me I really should like J. Cole and I really, really want to like J. Cole. I just, every time I listen to an album, I'm just kind of like not ever impressed and I'm never like, oh, I want to add this to my rotation. I want to play this like to the end of time. Um, and I think that a lot of his fans are, and I don't know if there's like a dichotomy between, you know, like, is he an artist that like either you love him or hate him? And I don't, I wouldn't say yes to that. Cause I don't hate J Cole. I just, he's just kind of there and I'm kind of like indifferent to him. And I, and I, sometimes I wonder, you know, what it is. And I, and I can't ever quite put my finger on it. Like, but I would, I'd like to be able to describe like, 
how I feel exactly about J. Cole, and I can't quite find the words. Yeah, like, I'm not sitting here being like, oh, fuck, J. Cole's dropping another album, fuck J. Cole. You know, there's some, there's some really, again, there's some really good stuff that he puts out, and he's a talent. I mean, there's some absolute standout shit here. I mean, the, the, My Life, the thing he did with 21 Savage, it's great track. 21 Savages versus Fantastic just works really well together. Uh, Jay's, you know, J. Cole's verses work really well together, and it's really kind of contrasts the laid-back style of 21 Savage. 95 South, Boy Wanda, Holla, Represent. Uh, it's kind of an early 2000s throwback, and I thought it was really cool. I love that it opens up the album like that. Take some shots at some critics, and like when I was that when I was initially hearing that, I was like, okay, I feel like this is starting out with a little bit more bombast and swagger than a normal J Cole album, and it just like didn't meet that expectation because there's really good stuff on this, and there's tracks where I'm like, I'm gonna listen to that track, but. It's just kind of like he he's like a walking seven out of ten machine. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would yeah. never get I, there's none of his albums. That I'm going to be like, that's dog shit. That's three out of ten. It's like, what is the punch me in the face with something fucking fantastic? That's what I want. So, you know, at this point, at, before this album, you know, J. Cole went. Three albums straight with platinum with no features, as the meme goes. Um, it became uh, like a really meme around his fans and then, you know, transferred to his haters or detractors and started, you know, with 2014's Forest Hills Drive. Um, so this album opens with Cameron, obviously, on 95 South. We have features from 21 Savage, Little Baby, uh, Fayetteville's own Moray, uh, James Fauntleroy, uh, Six Lack, aka Black. Do you think that he did these features as a response to the criticism, or is he just doing them, you know, because it's time for him to do features? I mean, in short, yes, I think it is because of criticism. But like, I think there's limitations to that attitude, obviously. And he did this interview with GQ. I think it's GQ. I can't remember. But anyways, they were talking about it on Everyday Struggle, like the Complex show. It's like DG Academics was like. You know, they were talking about it and they were saying, you know, J. Cole kind of understood that he didn't want to leave things on the table. He doesn't want to like look back at his career and be like, did I not give it the best chance to make the best work? And part of that is like, who else are you bringing in, including producers? And I, I think he probably looked at that as the only way to move it to the next level. I don't think he is going to admit that or anything if he if he was pushed. I mean, he obviously got harassed for this, but, you know, whether or not this was directly from that criticism, I don't know. I mean, the manner in which it is leveled on social media definitely wasn't the most constructive, as there's memes and shit, but I, you know, I kind of feel people within his camp, the people around him who he trusts, probably verified it and said, why wouldn't you do that? You know, I mean... I don't know what the origin of that decision is, whether it's to, you know, the, the decision to not do it, to not have features. I don't know if that was whether to boost himself, chip on his shoulders, something he could talk shit about, you know, or maybe he just prefers to be introverted in that process. Maybe he doesn't feel comfortable with it. That is a legitimate situation as well. So your guess is as good as mine, but he definitely, you know, we definitely see artists overload on features too. So like there is something good to, you know, not have all these fucking features everywhere but at the same time you can fit them into the narrative you put together that's what putting together a good and sequencing a good album is right 
Yeah, so I always I think I what I always found about J. Cole albums is they felt very insular. It felt like, you know, one person doing everything. And I think that's what made them, you know, feel small to me and feel like they were missing uh elements to them. Yes. one hundred percent. He was kind of responding to what happened on, you know, Born Sinner and, and his earlier bodies of work where he was kind of like oh yeah, I'm in industry now, let me get my industry features in. But I think he went too far the other way to the point where, you know, you're not working with anybody else. There's no new or fresh ideas in the studio with you for three albums. And I think that really shapes those albums. And I think that for Force Hills Drive, because of how personal that album is, it kind of worked for me on there a little bit more than, you know, everything else when it just became like very repetitive and almost like redundant listening to to some of those albums because i'm like where is you know new thought fresh ideas new voices it's just j cole everywhere and like you said there's a lot of people who are too feature reliant but i think you know you have to strike a, a happy balance in a, in a medium and i think that you know his peers are inherently better at that than he is and i think that's kind of leads to some of the criticism that he he gets would you say his albums are one note i think i think yes i think that is kind of how i describe them and that's kind of how they sound to me and you know i know he's rapping really well and i'm sure there's people like screaming at me that he's like a lot better than i'm giving him credit for and i and i don't think that I want to not be giving him credit because I think he deserves a lot of credit. He's very talented. He's operating at a very high level. I just don't think that he has really opened up that much. And I think that, you know, we saw a different side of him kind of being the label head and the kind of orchestrator of revenge of the dreamers three which i think is a fantastic album it's and fucking I, really it's really good it, it is perfect and like that's kind of what i wanted this album to sound a little bit more like yes and i think he was trying to get there but i don't think it came close in my notes right here i just want i have to interject this in my notes i literally have written make it like a dreamville album but scale back the features that's it just mix like that's like that you have all of these awesome people and you see Baz on this, which is good because he's in, he's great. But like uh, like on the previous albums, like look at there's a lot of really good rappers in Dreamville. So, so many great rappers in Dreamville. So, like they're all like I, I'm going to say it's like Dreamville and Griselda in terms of pound for pound like little organizations that have the you know the best lineups from just spitters like you can come in jid just comes in and just does whatever right he he's, i would he, love to see jid on one of these tracks exactly that's what i'm saying like he's so good they're so good there's like they're really fucking good so like why wouldn't you you have all the you can get any producers to work with you which he did in fairness did much better this time. Uh, you can get any producers to work with you because people recognize you as a talent and his talent is without question. And you have this massively good supporting cast with you. This, you, there is no reason you shouldn't put out. Listen, the biggest tour in hip hop for me, and we've talked about this, we did a fucking like 10 hours on him, Kanye West. If he's like, yo, I need to bring in these guys, take a note on that. That's one of the biggest egos that you've ever seen. 
saying that I'm going to get John Bryan, I'm going to get Gusefelstein, I'm going to get all these people to come in and do this with me because I have a framework and I have a concept, but to get it over the fucking line, I'm going to need some different heads coming in. You don't want to George Lucas your album. You don't want to do that. You don't want your fucking album to be Attack of the Clones, okay? I don't think it's that bad, but it's when you have only one person dictating the who has final cut dictating the you know the breadth of the creative space for this piece of work you're creating bring in other people and listen the where he brought in some other people for production on this because listen i don't think he's the greatest producer to be honest with you and people can fucking I, at I, me i would definitely agree I would like agree fucking with that. Pe- people can at me he doesn't really have a style you know what i mean I like think, i think he has a style like i just think his style is boring <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, he's not like Boy Wonder, where there is a brand. You know what I mean? No, like, it's and for... I think, like, like to even get into the production side, too, like, I think that, like, you know, he's working with a lot of cast members uh, from from Drake's camp, who Drake kind of brought into the game, or, you know, kind of came up together. Like, we see Boy Wonder on here heavily, uh, Frank Dukes, and T-Minus, who I think J. Cole works really, really well with T-Minus. What is the place of birth of Don Mills? He is from Don Mills in Toronto. He's, he's also a Canadian. Uh, that, I, I figured uh, that was the case. I just didn't want to uh, assume that was going to be too good. Yeah, man. There's like there's some really good stuff. We got Timbaland on this as well. I don't not the greatest Timbaland beat, but like good. So I mean, like think about the beats. Boy, Wanda on the opener is fucking awesome. Uh, T minus is good. I mean, I don't really like a hundred mil like the rest of the track that much. I like Baz's verse, but like the beat's really fucking cool. Uh, his beat for Pride is the Devil, fucking solid. Like, like you reap the benefit of collaboration. Look at T minus's CV. Pretty sure he didn't he do swimming pools. Is is he not the producer on that? He... Is he not the beat on that? Swimming pools. I'm not sure about swimming pools for sure. Oh, he's on Take question. Care. He's on Carter Four. He's on Pink Friday. Like, so, like, think about that. Like, look at that CV. Bring that guy in. Of course. This is great. Oh, yeah, you're right. T-minus produced uh, swimming pools. Yeah. I should, I should know that. It's okay. I have it in my notes. <laughs> 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 um, but, like, because I thought, I thought he had done swimming pools. Because I knew it was someone from... Because I think that's where, like, some of the Kendrick Lamar Drake, like crossover came from uh yeah but you know like like look at it like it's there is i really hope that the next album is this you know is this another step just with more definitely this almost looks like he was bringing people in but kind of like fighting the idea and not like fully embracing it yeah yeah i i agree there and i think that like this is like just to me it's like another album that's on the list with like you know Four Hills Drive, uh, Four Yards Only, and KOD, where I get kind of excited in the interim uh, when he starts putting out things and teasing things again, and then the album comes out, and I, you know, I give it an earnest chance, and I really, really want to like these albums, so I really spend a lot of time with them, and then I just kind of like, it just like doesn't have an effect on me, I think, almost, like, i this album, I think the cover is great. The art looks cool. I like what he did with the space out writing. I, I like. I want to like this album a lot, and I think it's just a, a kind of an okay album to me. 
all the pack. It has all all the pieces are there. It's just like everything's there, and it's just like there's some connective some connective tissue kind of missing to give it, you know, put it over the hump. You know, it's like this is a good album by all accounts. You know, the producers, the cast of producers are good. You know, the features are 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 picked really well. You know, the the, the rapping's really well, but. It just doesn't kind of come together to to make it into like an album that, you know, I think I want to be playing, you know, throughout the rest of this year. And also like, you know, I guess J. Cole doesn't really make like weather for nice, nice, doesn't make music for nice weather. No, but it's too insular. Isn't really, as you I guess, said. Pardon me? It's too insular, as you were saying. It's like, yeah, like a, it's like, it's, it's, it's not like, yo, this is a happy time. I'm going to throw on fucking J. Cole. It's no. It's more like, yo, I need to get intense about something. I'm going to put on J. Cole. So, now that we've talked about J. Cole's output a bit, like, where do you where do you rank in this album? Where does it stand in his discography? You know, what is your ranking of his discography? I don't even know how to rank his discography. KOD is probably one of the, the, light, the one I like the most by him. I think this is probably his second or third best so far. The question mark there comes from basically Forest Hills Drive because there are some moments on that that might be his absolute best. But then Wet Dreams comes on and I'm like, fuck this. You know, like I bring that album down a full ranking for that song, then another because he chose it as a single, and then five more levels because of the video, which is objectively fucking terrible. It was a bad choice for a single because the storytelling is so literal that any video that's made for it would be terrible. You could put Hype Williams, Chris Cunningham, Spike Jones in a bag of like weed together in a room and they wouldn't be able to come up for a good video for it that's how much i detest the track because uh, it's so fucking cringy but the rest of forest hill drives is this really cool like like it, it, there's moments again more cringy moments than that but there's some really good like semi-autobiographical shit on it where i think he really tells a, like personal stories that work and it's just he can't bring the whole thing together so i mean i'm probably like this is his second or third best but like i'm a mixed bag because i feel like what happens is i cannibalize his albums for playlists because there is some good tracks but you know there's some really good stuff there but then there's also some stuff that i'm indifferent about i'd almost rather hate something than be indifferent about it because he has talent like if someone puts out a joke like a junk album who is junk that's one thing but like if anybody was like j cole is without talent and fuck j cole i'm gonna be like i'm gonna be i'm gonna disagree with that but at the same time i'm just it, it's indifference i don't want to feel indifference for towards a person who is supposed to be like one of the seminal talents yeah like i think like the best way for me to describe j cole is he's very lukewarm and i and that that's the only kind of elicit, the only kind of uh, emotion that he can uh, elicit in me is that like I feel very like you know mediocre on him. You know I really want to like Forest Hills Drive. It has a, has a song called Wet Dreams on it. I really hate that song. I think it's awful. Did you watch Four the video? Only. Did you no, watch the you, video when I told you to? I, I'm I, no, I'm never gonna watch that video. <laughs> I, it's I, fucking I, dog. You told me it exists because I I like it's, if I it's watch so it bad. Before, I think you. I think you really have to watch. Just I probably uh, like watch it and then just like promptly deleted that memory from from <laughs> me because like I really, really like that's a song I despise. There's not too many of songs I despise that's up there. Yeah. And then Four Eyes Only has a song about folding clothes. So like that, I can't really rate too highly in his uh, discography. You know, like KOD, who the fuck wrote that song? My grandmother. Uh, probably. 
KOD, like, I think I gave it, like, a once or twice over, and, like, it didn't really do anything for me, uh, specifically. The beats on Sideline Story, Born Sinner, both, like, you know, there's some good songs on there. I think, like, you know, Friday Night Lights, his mixtape is probably, like, my favorite project by him, and then I, like, the two EPs he did called Truly Yours and Truly Yours 2. You know what? And then, like... Friday Night Lights, I completely forgot about that. That fucking... That, it would be his best, in my opinion, then. That's yeah, the one like I like the, the most. I completely that forgot about really that. Top that to me. No. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, like, I might almost say he's kind of regressed. You know, he's like found this like pocket after you know Friday Night Lights, and then you know kind of post his um, Cold World sideline story and Born Sinner, and he found this little pocket and he got really comfortable in it and just kind of made music from that pocket for a long time. And that, I think, you know, has affected how I picture J. Cole and how I, like, listen to his music and interact with him. Like, and I know he has a really rabid fan base. Um, and I, you know, spend a lot of time, you know, attacking them on Twitter and, uh, <laughs> you know, on the phone to my friends who are J. Cole fans because, you know, I just have to laugh at them because, like, this is, is this your king? Like, this is, this is the best you can do? Whenever, so, I, mean, I got to say this, whenever I see someone i don't follow say that j cole is bullshit it's because you like to retweet it uh no comment (laughs) so you know j cole he does get a lot of flack because of his fan base but he's you know very consistently breaking records he sells a lot of records he's always on the charts where do you think he stands in this big three of his era of you know Kendrick Drake and I think you have to put him third in that comparison in terms of like sales, fan base, you know, streaming numbers, all that kind of good stuff. How does he stand to Drake and Kendrick to you? Okay, so first addressing the fan base. Real talk, as long as there's been music, there's been people who will ruin shit for the rest of us uh one of my favorite bands of all time radiohead i love radiohead i genuinely believe they are an important band i love all their albums but sometimes you need to slow it the fuck down uh you know what i mean uh another from from the rock standpoint uh tool fans another band i've grown a little apart from as i've gotten older uh i still think they're incredibly talented but uh, even back in the day you know people went off the rails with with the lore and I, I and 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 Tupac as well was another one where I'm like Tupac is undeniably talented but like people are talking like he's messianic like he's fucking Martin Luther King or some shit you know what I mean and listen I'm not a member of the black community but like I I, I just don't see where that compares like what that is I see a talented individual but yes uh no one is unassailable, but those artists I just mentioned are significantly less assailable than J. Cole. The big thing with them is, you know, if you don't like J. Cole, then you must be a complete fool who isn't on his, like, lyrical wavelength, which I think is kind of horseshit. So, as for the direct answer to your question, he's third. Kendrick Lamar and Drake don't carry, like, that sort of baggage. Like, J. Cole doesn't have Drake's impact on pop music straight up whether or not you like drake uh you know you can't really deny how he's shaped music he's his influence his impact uh for me he's like the steph curry of hip-hop he's changed the game whether you like it or not i happen to very much enjoy a lot of the accolades that j cole gets that should be just given to kendrick lamar like i'm like that's rich with the things you're saying about him it should be said about kendrick lamar uh i don't think that 
J. Cole has that big artistic statement in hip hop, like Good Kid or like Good Kid Mad City, you know, or like an avant garde jazz album, like to pimp a butterfly. Like that kind of shit takes courage. And he found a formula and then he just kind of like blew it the fuck up right away. Like you did, okay, you did Good Kid Mad City, okay? It has a very specific sound. I wouldn't say it's, you know, straight up sounding it's sonically very very good but it's definitely something that can like this will connect with people's ears so when he comes so the next option is i could just make that same album again and play it safe he just completely fucking bulldozes it and makes the pimp butterfly which is a fucking risk and it pays off it does well library of congress all this kind of shit and like like people who are like well fucking you know drake listen i do i think that drake is as technically good a rapper as j cole no j cole shreds in terms of like the speed cadence all this kind of shit but it's also what you're saying you know that's fucking important and i think that yeah j cole talks a lot about you know this is intense and this is what we're doing and like it's all about the work rate and all this kind of shit and you know speaks of some political situations but i like i don't think like he hasn't had the impact that those two guys have you know what i mean like drake has owned the billboard charts he has owned them and kendrick lamar is probably going to go down as artistically the best rapper of his generation whereas i think Drake will get it from a fucking, you know, a commercial sense. But that that's not knocking Drake's artistic uh, things, because I think, like, albums like Take Care and shit are, like, these big artistic statements. Um, and even, like, um, if you're reading this, like, is absolutely fucking fantastic. Uh, I mean, but then, like, Drake just put out the fucking, that EP. And, you know, I, I must admit I was a little disappointed with Scorpion. But, like, e the EP he just put out, we talked about it, is fucking awesome. Like, you know, and like those three songs, how, which three songs on this J. Cole album are as good as that? The fucking not. Like, it's no, not. It's it, it's just, not. it's just not because I think that Drake is really open to what other people have done. And also he created this team and like he created this team and like he works with them and he he uses them to his to his advantage and then fucking like Kendrick Lamar you know got that fucking tutorial from Dr. Dre and there's this like understanding that other people make the process good so i don't know like this is such a long-winded answer i apologize but it's it's just like going through all the things cuz then there's the p things people are going to say to refute it and i'm like i don't know what world you're living in where because some of his fans think that where he's near those two to me it's not even a competition yeah and I, and I i don't think i can you know compare them and i think that jake hole kind of has a problem where he's a good rapper in a the wrong generation because you know if he if drake doesn't exist he can kind of be that guy and occupy that lane um a little bit more and if kendrick doesn't exist you know to drake jake hole becomes the artistic rapidly rap guy but he exists you know in the time period where they both do those things better than he does you know j cole definitely appeals to women a lot but drake does it at a higher level and a better level um and kendrick can do the artistic thing more and make big, bigger statements than j cole can so he exists in this like ether where he isn't you know 
at the talent and the skill level of those guys up there. But, you know, I think he still has a lot on, like, a Big Sean or Meek Mill or anyone you might put behind him um, in terms of, like, this generation and this... And this oh, absolutely. Uh, this... He's definitely higher than that class of rapper. I mean, nothing against, like, fucking Meek Mill or whatever. I was just talking to you about how much, like, uh, how I'm, like, kind of digging back in to the, you know, the older Meek Mill stuff. But, like, he's, so, he, like, he's, he's, he's just... not... He's better than to be... Like, he's... His talent is where... And the way he's ranked... He can't be compared to those guys. It's the only no. other ones he can be compared like, to are Drake and fucking Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, like he sits ahead, but like I think that, you know, I shouldn't, you shouldn't be in that third spot if you're not challenging music in any way. And I think that J. That's Cole fair. does not challenge music in any way. Where, you know, like people want to debate if he has a classic album. And I don't think that, like, you know, anyone who really cares for music would tell you that J. Cole has a classic album because I don't think it would be a debate if he had a classic album. And a lot of the time it's his fans saying that he does. But I think that if an album is only really classic to your fan base, yeah. I don't think it's a classic. It's called a cult so, album. It, it's called a cult classic. You know, that's and, what I'm saying. And, and, yeah. And, and that's exactly what he, what kind of music he makes where it's like you have these rabid people who are arguing about his skill level. And there's, there's albums and there's people and others I don't like that much, but like, you know, if the album is warranted, I will tell you, you know, what about the album I like. And even Meek Mill, I think Meek Mill's made albums that I like personally better than J. Cole albums. And, you know, are they classics? Are they good all the way through? You know, not a lot of them are, but they're more challenging. And he's trying to do uh, more things on those albums than J. Cole's album, where it's like, like you said before, he's like, oh, yeah, I can put this in and I can get like a, you know, a 75%. And so I'm going to get the 75% every time instead of, you know, rolling the dice and handing in something that, you know, might get me a 50 or might get me a hundred, but I know I get 75. So I'm just going to give you the average, the average mark. And that's what it seems like he's, you know, keeps doing. And I would really love, you know, like every time an album comes out every time he releases a, a cover i'm like okay this is going to be the album that you know is my j cole album that is for me and i like i can never get there and i'm i'm done listening to this album i don't think i'll be listening to it again for the rest of my life i have this as a 6.5 i think i'm gonna give this a five and you know that's mostly due to the production on it the song close is fantastic but somehow he made like a little baby feature on this album, boring to me. And I think for yeah. that, you know, like I don't know. I was I was really happy to hear Cameron introduce this album, and I liked Close. Um, the only reason I, I didn't like Cameron introducing this, this album is because it was a little letdown afterwards. Yeah, I was like, is Cameron gonna rap? Oh no. <laughs> All right, let's move on to another album produced by our friend, friend of the podcast, who will eventually be coming on, Jack Antonoff. Let's talk about St. Vincent and Daddy's Home. So this one, I mean, like, I loved it. This will definitely be part of the rhythm section album draft at the end of the year for me. Like, I mean, there's still stuff to come out, but there's such a high level of musicianship on this. I love the whole setup behind it, the whole idea of dealing with her father's incarceration and the sleaziness. Uh, the sleaziness of the album almost representing the difficulties and bad choices that came from that period of time, uh, you know, where she 
lost her way and that kind of thing. And she was young and making angry choices and all this kind of stuff. She talked a little bit about it with the Zane Lowe interview and like this whole idea of like packaging it with that early 70s New York sound, like the fucking Wurlitzer electric piano. You know, there's like sitars on it. There's fuzzed out guitar solos. So you're hearing influences like David Bowie, Lou Reed, Nina Simone, Television, Blondie, The Talking Heads. And in terms of pure musicianship, this is like her working at a at the highest level and um i i know it isn't the guitar playing isn't as like uh shreddy as before but there's some really beautiful phrasing the tone is rich and expressive and i think if you're diving into this album for the first time at the holiday party down and out downtown uh the opening track like which is like kind of like an update on fame almost down like it's really really great stuff definitely check it out guitar work on living the dream like i can't say enough good things about this album absolutely fantastic yeah, this album, you know, definitely found me in a good place. I got to listen to this. I scheduled it in my listen after the J. Cole album, and it was a nice uh, respite <laughs> for me. Yeah, my standouts, I think, you know, Down and Out Downtown, really, really loved. Um, I really like the back kind of ending of this album, you know, basically from My Baby Wants a Baby to Candy Darling. I really liked the concept of it, doing the kind of 70s, gritty New York. It, it really just came at a good place and a good time and i think this is a really strong effort from saint vincent um especially you know this is her sixth album this is you know it was j cole's sixth album this is a better sixth album to me yeah there's there's def there's no i mean when she did mass education you could have just again made that album over and over again and she doesn't do it it's not her thing for her it's always like I, I think about it like David Bowie and Beck kind of come to mind as two different people. Like they're always kind of like, what is this next album going to be about? You know what I mean? It's like, what is the influence for? What is the, you know, what is the, you know, there, there's like a really kind of plan in terms of like taking, like taking that calculated risk and seeing uh, where it can, where it can go. And I think it's, it's just like refreshing. So, you know, we talked about this album a few episodes ago. Are you kind of thinking the same things that you were hoping for when you heard the two singles? You know, it kind of lived up to expectations there. Yeah, I like I really I think like the every song is good on this album. Um, There's degrees of how good they are and how much I enjoyed them, but I enjoyed them all. I thought the singles were so well chosen. They came out with Down right before as the album like when the album dropped uh it's fantastic man like i i i really think that um you know it's uh fuck i can never pay your way with pain i can never remember the opening oh the opener songs yeah the opening track is uh i can pay never remember pain so yeah good. pay your way in pain it's incredible it's really like that grimy synthy new york she's you know or, or false you know her super high, almost falsetto voice just like works so well. And it's just like, she's just such a musical chameleon and it just, she really kind of chose really good singles and then they just, she went with it. So what do you think of Jack Antonoff's work on this album? How many more albums do you think he'll give us this year? And should we have a Jack Antonoff themed episode? And then can we get Jack Antonoff on the show? Well, we should get Jack Antonoff on the show because I think there's very few people who appreciate Jack Antonoff as much as we appreciate Jack Antonoff. And yeah, I think, well, there's more Landa Del, apparently more Landa Del Rey albums come out. They have like release dates. I think one of them is 
June 3rd. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's a June release slated and I think a July release slated. So I would assume that Jack Antonoff would be on that because he did chemtrails. So, uh, which is great as well. Um, so, uh, so, you know, Annie Clark in, in that interview I was referring to with Zane Lowe was basically saying that her and Jack Antonoff gelled really well. And like, he came in heavy on the keys, you know, and playing bass and just like blasting all these keyboard vibes and providing these spines, you know, on songs like at the holiday party where she can just kind of paint her way through it and like pay your way through pain. Um, is another one. Uh, another thing she specifically says was that she could kind of, he could kind of roll with her on the musicianship front. And I mean, she wasn't like being, it wasn't like braggadocious. She's just an accomplished musician. She understands that. And that's why she's able to work at a high level because she knows what she knows. So this is again, the Jack Antonoff Stan account here. He is a versatile and has laid the groundwork. I believe, uh, for a claim on the greatest producer of his generation. Like I would, I, I want to know who, who is the challenger to be honest with you. Do you think he's going to get a Grammy off his efforts? Like, will we be seeing him in, you know, next year's producer non-classical? I don't see how he won't like think about, okay. The chemtrails and this album came out. Like I, we're not even halfway through the year yet, but like those are pretty solid outings to come through and i mean we're gonna hear more lana del rey i don't know if we're gonna get any more taylor swift i think there may be a lord album coming out this year that's it but that'll be so like i i don't know but i don't know who else how many more people are gonna really top him to be honest with you i mean i don't know what dan auerbach's doing he's a great producer as well so we'll see how that all kind of comes together but yeah, I think you're going to be seeing him nominated. It's almost perennial at this point. So, you know, what do you think about the themes on this album? We had reports of St. Vincent killing a piece that was, you know, dug a little bit into her father a little bit more. Like, there was, like, a, what, tax evasion is what he went away for? Yeah, it was, like, some, like, multi-million dollar, like, fraud situation or scheme. Um, there hasn't been a ton put out on it. I mean, she's private, man. And I think what happened was, I feel like, and she, she didn't talk a ton about her dad, uh, in any of the press I've read, she talks about him and it was like that they have a really good relationship now and that she didn't think they were going to have a good relationship considering what had happened. And they definitely didn't have one before, but it's probably a combination of, she doesn't want this to be the thing people talk about on the album other than from a narrative sense, but like going into what he, what he did, the details of the crime and all that kind of stuff, like for an artist like her, like why, like, I don't know. Like, I, I think it'd just be distracting. And it seems to be like when people try talking about her sexuality and stuff, she's like, the first thing she says is like, like, I don't talk about it or comment on it because I want to be judged by what I'm making because that's what I bust my ass doing. So, that seems like a thing that could be a distraction when you're trying to put out an album and you don't want to distract people from this. Look at all the fucking work you put into it. So where does the album rank for you on our panted cog rating system? Nine. I loved it. Yeah. I think I'm going to join you up there. I think this is an 8.5 for me. Definitely looking forward to what she's cooking up next. Cause this album was, you know, really perfect and came at a good time. And I think it's going to, you know, follow me into the summer. 
absolutely i'm gonna be listening to this one for a long time i already listened to her she's fantastic but like this one i i just was listening to outside and i'm just on my laptop working and listening to it i'm like this is like really fucking good just really really great stuff well on that note kyle i want to say thank you so much for joining me yes absolutely i mean this was uh these ones were good i mean i i felt like the last you know last episode we really you know there was some really good stuff we got to this one you know definitely got me thinking more about kind of you know i i mean just like the whole with the Nicki minaj thing and you know saint vincent dropping this j cole like it was just what is the legacy you know what i mean what are people like what are the things you're making what are the the ideas you're cementing for future generations to think about your work yeah and i think that's you know kind of what it's all about right like you know we looked at two artists who are you know deep into their sixth album um nikki minaj is coming she, she must be up up there as well um maybe five or, or six on her next project she does um maybe not including the mixtape so it'll be interesting to see you know as these kind of legacy artists are cementing themselves this year um we're expecting a lot more new releases from big artists so make sure to join us again when we get to talking about that kyle again thank you and uh thanks everyone for listening see you later guys